Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host, Gavin Rice, and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. I am so excited to get back to recording the show. It's been a long month and a half away from home, and I'm just so thrilled to be back into my home life routines. Uh, so where was I? Well, I, I completed my initial training with JetBlue. If you remember uh, one of the last episodes, I, I mentioned that I'm uh, off to training with JetBlue, and so I finished all that. And already, in just a couple of days, I am scheduled to start flying. Uh, so what is it like training at a, a different airline? Well, I mean, every company is different, so the first week of training which uh, is, is called indoctrination, or INDOC for short, is, is, is exactly that, indoctrination, uh, meaning you, you learn the ways of the company. So employees at JetBlue, or, or as we are called, crew members, we kind of like to joke around and say that this is the time where we drink the blue juice, so to speak, meaning you know we learn about the company's culture, the core values, and important aspects of, of what makes the company work well across different departments. And one thing that really stood out to me uh, about JetBlue's particular training is that people from all different departments were included in the first couple days of orientation. You, you compare that to my previous job with Republic and, and from what I've heard most other airlines uh, will have separate orientations for pilots, flight attendants, flight, uh, you know, gate agents, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's just quite a bit different how they do it. And it's, it's really unique uh, to, to be able to meet some people uh, just other than pilots. And it was kind of funny in a, a couple of the different speeches that members of leadership uh, were, were talking, you know, they had mentioned that, oh, yeah, all the pilots stick together. And, and I remember at one point they said, hey, pilots, raise your hands. And of course, there was a core of us stuck right together in the middle of the room. So it was true. Uh, us pilots do tend to congregate together. But uh, it, it was, again, it was still really neat to hang out with some awesome people from, from across different departments. Uh, there was this one guy, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name, uh, but he was going off to uh, be a part of uh, market analyzing or something like that. So essentially future planning of the company and, and what's on the horizon, you know, look, crunching the numbers and figuring out what, uh, what happens next. And so it was, it was really cool, cool just tapping into him and, and uh, getting to learn some some really interesting analytical things that is just way above and beyond what we pilots do uh, in terms of our scope. But uh, it was cool too, because he was asking us all about flight training and everything. So it was, it was really neat to just get to talk to people other than just pilots. Uh, but again, most most of uh, my time spent was, was congregating with the other pilots because a lot of us would meet together and study and whatnot. So... But anyway, you, you might be wondering, okay, you know, off to an airline, a new airline, you know, what, what aircraft uh, was I assigned to fly? And so a uh, couple days before our, our first uh, day of class, they put out a bid for us and they had uh, two options for us, either the Airbus 220 or the Embraer 190, both out of Boston. So regardless, everyone in my class was going to get a Boston base. And I think there were only five, maybe six, I think it was five uh, Airbus 220 slots and the rest uh, Ember 190. And so if you remember from my previous episodes, I was flying the Embraer 170, uh, which that's a pretty similar set of numbers. So yeah, it's the same type rating. Uh, so needless to say, training for me was was not too difficult uh, as, as it would have been maybe if I, if I got an Airbus assignment. But what I cared most about was getting the Boston base. And, and like I said, all of us got Boston, so that wasn't an issue for me. 
and and unless the Boston base closes for some reason, I will never have to move or become a commuter uh, because all of my trips will start and end in Boston, which is really convenient. There were a few guys in my class who got the Airbus 220, uh, and then again, the rest of us got the 190, and, and some of those guys... Uh, you know, we're probably a little bummed that Boston was the only base available because some people came to JetBlue uh, hoping for the LA base, and unfortunately they didn't get it right out of training. Um, but soon enough, they'll be able to, to change bases to LA. Uh, and that's one of the things about the 190 is it's, it's, uh, it's an older plane, so it's getting retired soon. So there's actually mostly just northeast flying that the plane does. Uh, so if you want to 320 or if you wanted LA base you're going to have to be uh, typed in the 320 which they weren't offering for my class at the time and again each class it changes you know any company will have needs for certain personnel from uh, you know from one aircraft to another from one department to another so you know at, at the time uh, they needed more to, to fill the 220 and the, the 190 slots so again for me uh, pretty straightforward because I was already typed and I already uh, I'm already based in Boston. I already live pretty close, you know, 40 miles west of Boston, so it works out really well for me. Uh, and I wasn't the only one in that situation. There were a, a few guys in my class who also came from Republic, so still flying the, the 170. Uh, and then I think a couple of those guys were also based in Boston. Uh, and even if they weren't Boston-based, they were LaGuardia-based, so close enough. It's it's not too big of a, a, a change from New York-based to, to Boston. So uh, it's pretty neat how there's a lot of us that, that uh, kind of come from the same background. And so what, what are the uh, the differences between the 170 and the 190? Well, like I said, it, they fall under the same type rating. And what I mean by type rating is that the, it just differentiates the, the specific aircraft you are rated to fly. And so everyone's pilot certificate is broken down into the category, the class, and if applicable, like in the case of uh, flying an airliner, a type rating. And so a category is uh, it splits an aircraft into uh, a different type of aircraft. So that can be an airplane or, or a rotorcraft. So, you know, helicopters, uh, gliders, uh, hot air balloons, lighter than air, you know, uh, blimps, things like that. Those are categories of aircraft. And the thing that distinguishes those is their flight characteristics are vastly different. You know, how you operate a helicopter, how you operate a hot air balloon, is very different from how you fly an airplane. And so those are different categories. And then within a category, um, many of the categories, not all of them, but many of the categories will also have a differentiation of classes. And so I couldn't tell you the first thing about any other of the categories, but for airplanes, we have single engine land, single engine sea, multi-engine land, and multi-engine sea. And all that means is you know, one engine plane that lands on the ground, one engine plane that lands on the water, uh, multi-engine, you know, more than one engine on uh, on the land and then more than one engine on the sea. So uh, those are the different classes that you can have. And then uh, a type rating comes into play when you have an aircraft that weighs more than 12,500 uh, 12, pounds and or has a turbojet or turbofan engine. And so the Embraer 170 and, and 190 type rating fits both of, of those criteria. And although the, the 170 and the 190 do fall under the same type rating, there are a few differences. First of all, the, the fuselage uh, is the same shape and it's the same width. So it's, it's a two and two seat configuration, but it's longer in length. It's about 20 feet longer. Uh, the 190 is about 20 feet longer than the 170. Uh, so it's just about, just under 120 feet long uh, versus just about 100 feet on the, uh, the 170. The wings are also just a 
bit wider, uh, 94 feet on the 190 versus uh, 85 feet on the 170. Um, there are, you know, there's there's the 170 and then the 175, uh, which the 175 is actually the 170-200. So it's, it's still a 170. Again, same, same type rating, uh, but the 175 uh, extended over water EOW version uh, will, especially if it has the uh, extended winglets, it could fit a few more seats. It has two more sets of windows, I believe. And, uh, and, and that wingspan, I think, is maybe 92-ish feet or something like that. Again, these numbers are kind of just spinning off the top of my head that I can uh, vaguely remember. Uh, but, but you get the idea. There's not really too many big differences. Uh, the one other big difference, though, uh, is that the engines are a bit beefier um, to account for more weight. So, you know, if you have a longer plane that can take more fuel, uh, it's going to need some more power. And so they, they're still uh, GE engines, but they're a little larger, uh, and they'll put out about 4,000-ish more pounds of thrust per engine uh, than the 170 did. So the 190 puts out uh, just over 18,000 pounds of thrust at its max rating uh, versus the 170, I think, was somewhere around 14,000 pounds. So a little bit more uh, thrust to accommodate for that increase in weight. And the main increase in weight is that because it's a longer fuselage, you're able to accommodate more passengers. So you can get about 100 passengers and more fuel. Uh, I think we topped out at, I want to say, 20-ish thousand pounds of fuel on the 170. Uh, and we never even, maybe it wasn't quite that, maybe it was 17. I can't remember the exact number, but we could never even fill up full tanks because, uh, you know, if we had full passengers, we'd have to limit that. Uh, but the, the 190, you know, you can have 20, probably about 25,000 pounds of fuel and uh, pretty much a full boat of people, and you still have some more wiggle room. So it, it holds more fuel uh, and more people and more bags. Uh, so again, it's just stretched longer, slightly wider wings, bigger engines, but that's about it. I mean, everything else is, is pretty much the same. And again, that's why it falls under the same type rating. And in terms of the weight of the aircraft, I remember the the 170, the heaviest 170 I think I flew was just over 80, something like 82,000 pounds. Uh, but now with the 190, I'll be flying very uh, commonly over 100,000 pounds, uh, which is pretty exciting. Now that's that's a big change in aircraft weight, and so the the handle, handling characteristics are going to be slightly different. Uh, and and although you know as of this recording, I, I haven't actually flown yet. I'm about to go fly in a couple days here. Uh, I can tell from the simulator training uh, a couple of key differences uh, in, in flying characteristics that, that uh, instructors have pointed out to me and, and that also I've gotten to experience in the simulator. Uh, and because it, it really boils down to the weight, uh, increased weight in the aircraft and then the increase in thrust as well. Uh, and so because of that, the plane is a little bit more slippery, meaning that it's it's it just it's harder to slow down. Uh, and, and I had experienced differences between full and light loads in the 170 and could tell the difference, but it, it still didn't really affect the ability to slow down too much. But now it's it's definitely quite relevant here where, you know, if you've got a big tailwind and you're trying to descend to meet a, a crossing restriction, sometimes that's going to be very hard to accomplish because uh, your increase in vertical speed is going to be to the point where you you can no longer maintain a slower airspeed. You know, your airspeed's also going to increase. So, you know, it's it's just definitely going to be an interesting challenge when it comes to, to operating it. And I got, again, I got to experience it a, a little bit in the simulator. And it'll be really interesting to, to experience once, uh, especially the, the cold front season, you know, when winter hits us, a cold front will come through and, and you could get 
winds up aloft that are oh, 150 to 200 knots, um, you know, up at high altitudes. So that that can be that can cause a huge impact on your ability to descend. The one tool that we have to to help us slow down, uh, you know, if we're going a little too fast, it, we had it on the 170. It's the exact same set on the uh, the 190. Is, is speed brakes, and on the 170 there there was never an issue using them whether you were only deploying them to a quarter or using them completely fully out uh, but on the 190 uh, the the full speed brakes or, or we call them boards actually full boards um it can really shake the plane uh much more violently than on the 170 which is pretty interesting so i mean there's no limitation uh, to use them. If, if you need to use them, you can use them. That's what they're there for. But I've been told to try and avoid using full boards. You know, actually been told to use, uh, tr try to avoid using it past half because the people in the back can really feel a lot of that and it might freak them out. And, and it's very uncomfortable, especially the aft flight attendant who's sitting way back there in the jump seat. Uh, you get shaken up quite a bit back there. Uh, so that'll be, you know, that'll be a new thing for me to try and, uh, <laughs> limit the use of boards um we'll, we'll see we'll see how that works because <laughs> that's that's gonna be challenging but another tool we can use for descent and speed management is is the fms and, and this is the flight which is the flight management system and, and this is something that i had in the 170 but again because it was easier to slow the 170 down i never had to really use this trick and i never thought of it so a really cool thing that i learned uh, in training was that you can create a new waypoint prior you know a few miles prior to a mandatory crossing fix so you know if we had to cross some fix uh at uh 10,000 feet and 250 knots and we're currently descending at 300 knots you know that that's a 50 knot uh difference that we need to to slow down to so if we were to uh use the trick of where if you level off and you know you go to idle thrust you're going to need about uh, one mile for every 10 knots in order to slow down and so if you create a fix, and the example I just gave, you know, if you create a fix uh, five miles prior to that, that uh, crossing fix, and you create the same thing, you know, it's the same speed and altitude restriction, but you make it five miles prior, that way you can go down, you level off five miles prior, you'll be at idle thrust, and you won't even need to use the boards, the speed brakes, in order to slow down, and then by the time you get to your fix, you'll be right there on target. So it's it's a cool little trick that we can use that, again, I didn't have to use it on the 170, but but now I'm going to have to because with a heavier plane, with more thrust at idle, it's going to be a lot harder to slow this jet down. So that's going to be a, an interesting challenge, but it's going to be fun uh, to, to work around that. And so that, you know, those are just a couple of the, uh, the tools that we can use because any jet, uh, for those who have flown a jet, and, and if you didn't know, a jet is just so slippery. It's very sleek and aerodynamic compared to a piston aircraft. You know, when you chop your power back to idle in a piston aircraft, your propeller just acts like a speed brake right there, and you can slow down really quickly. Uh, but in a jet, it's very sleek. Um, you don't have that advantage of the propeller, the, the slipstream, uh, you know, acting as kind of a, a fan, a speed brake, essentially. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, you have swept back wings, you know, the, the plane is just more aerodynamic. Jets are designed to go fast. Uh, they are really bad at going slow, and so they don't want to slow down either. And so, you know, you can, you can level off and slow down, or you can descend, but slowing down and going down at the same time is just really not possible. So that's, that's one of the things, you know, uh, speed brake usage, uh, leveling off prior to a fix, you know, these are all things we have to account for. Um, 
you know, bringing the descent angle uh, down. You know, a, a common descent angle is three degrees, but maybe if you have a huge tailwind, you bring it back to two degrees. You know, one and a half degrees if you're able to. You know, the only thing is that your your top of descent on an arrival would be so far back that sometimes air traffic control won't start your descent down. You'll have to ask for the descent, and sometimes they won't give it to you because there's traffic ahead for for crossing purposes. So uh, it can, it can get really challenging for sure when you're when you're taking a giant heavy hunk of metal and trying to slow it down <laughs> on the descent it's it's very challenging so it's definitely going to be uh, pretty interesting to see those those differences once i'm actually in the air uh flying the the 190 you know because again everything thus far has been just full motion simulator experience which really does a lot it's it's remarkable what these these simulators are able to recreate uh, but it, it can only do so much. You know, I'm, I'm really going to learn a lot uh, about those differences once I actually start flying the jet. So like I said, I mean, it, all of these little tips and tricks and, and my experience so far has, has only been the full uh, with the full motion simulators. Um, and and that's they they uh, they do a really good job. But also the uh, the instructors that we have are amazing. Uh, it, it was it was such a great experience to have some really knowledgeable people walk me through uh, all the little tips and tricks and, and how we fly it here at JetBlue. Because even though I'm already typed in the aircraft, uh, it was it was just so fun to learn the different things uh, from many instructors who, who, again, they have so many years of experience. And it's quite humbling, you know, to, to you know, already have the typewriting, to essentially climb the ladder of, of, of flight training skills and knowledge. You know, you, you step your way up thinking you know everything, uh, and you really don't. And it's it's really quite humbling uh, because, you know, it, you know, start from the beginning, like a student pilot, you know, you work your way up, you, you first, you solo, uh, you, you go on to do your, your, uh, your cross country flights and then you pass your check, right? Okay. Yeah. You're a private pilot. You're, you're working your way up and then you get all your ratings and then maybe you become a flight instructor. And now you're teaching the next generation of flight students and you think, you know, all this stuff. And then you go fly a jet and you trying to learn how to fly a jet. You feel like a student pilot again. And it's, it's remarkable. It's, it's really humbling. And like I said, I've already been typed. I already have uh, quite a few hundred hours in this plane, but now that I'm going to a new company, you know, I need to operate uh, differently in terms of procedures. You know, every airline has different procedures and how they, they fly an aircraft, even if it's the same aircraft, uh, it can be a little bit different. Uh, and so it's it's been it's been fun. It's been challenging to to learn um, you know how to fly the 190 at, at, a, at a new company to me. And one of the things that made training so great was the group of guys that I got to train with. Um, they're awesome people. Uh, and, you know, we all came from different backgrounds. You know, some people came from corporate. Uh, there were a couple guys that were, uh, it's called the University Gateway or, or Gateway Programs, uh, whether it was university or not. But uh, these Gateway Programs allow you to go from zero to hero, you know, absolutely no flight uh, experience at all. Uh, within a few years, you're, you've got a, a, a job offer from JetBlue and you're, you're able to start flying a jet. So some guys haven't even flown a jet before. Uh, and then, like I said, you had some some corporate, some charter guys uh, coming from different different uh, places as well. One of them uh, was my, my sim partner. And uh, that's a challenge because they know how to fly a jet. But the airline world is, is very different. It's very fast-paced. Not that charter isn't fast-paced. That can have its moments too. Uh, but there's just a lot going on. Uh, you know, coordinating with other groups versus in the the charter, um, you know, that, that corporate world, it's it's a little bit more, you know, the, those pilots are kind of in charge of everything. You know, they're kind of figuring out flight plans. They're 
working with their passengers to, to load them up, you know, loading all the bags, cleaning the labs, all this stuff, you know, versus now it's, it's kind of, everything's brought together and there's different teams that are doing different things. And, and as the pilots, we're, we're kind of, you know, we're in charge of monitoring everything, making sure that everything is going to be complete, uh, you know, prior to boarding. And, and once boarding is complete, making sure everything's done, but uh, there's just kind of a lot more going on. It's, it's a little bit busy. And some of those cues are hard to recreate in the simulator uh, and, and in training. You know, we, you know, we we announce these cues. We say, okay, the flight attendants are here. They're here's this. You know, okay, the passengers are boarding. Here's this. You know, okay, the gate agent comes up. Here's this. You know, it, there's all these little cues that that we recreate in the simulators, but it's just so hard when you're not actually there. And you know, I, the couple of guys that I was working with, my my sim partner included, I was like, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's a little hard to wrap your head around, but I promise you, once you get out to the line and you start flying, it's all going to really click. It's going to start making sense, and it's it's going to become a lot easier. But the first, uh, I want to say, the first yeah, good 50 hours or so, you're kind of figuring things out, um, which is, it's again, it's all exciting. It's it's a new a new area to, to work in, and um, and you get to fly a pretty big jet. You know, it's, it's, it's a blast. And again, that... The, the group that I got to work with was was great because being away from home is, is definitely challenging because I, I missed a lot of my simple routines, you know, uh, had to take a break from the show just to focus on that. And, and, you know, a lot of simple things like going for a daily walk, you know, being able to cook a meal. Um, <laughs> there's all these little routines, you know, playing on the piano or, or, you know, playing on the PlayStation, you know, all these little things that you, you don't realize how much you miss uh, when you're gone for a while. Uh, and, and luckily, um, they had to kind of break some of us up in the class. You know, some people had no break. Some people had one week, some people had two. I had three weeks off at one window and I thought, well, like I could get back into some things, but I ended up just traveling a bit visiting family. And I just wanted to kind of stay in the training mind frame and kept studying a little bit. So, uh, you know, I just decided, yeah, I'll take a break from the show for now and, and then I'll bring it back. And, and that's why I'm back here. But again, it's just, it's amazing how, how much you can miss little things. Uh, but the, the environment I was in was was really great. I mean, the facility that JetBlue has uh, for their training centers, it's very accommodating. Uh, they even had a pool, so we got to go uh, swimming. You know, there'd be a group of us. We'd spend uh, some afternoons and evenings. We'd be chatting, uh, maybe studying a little bit, discussing things, and we'd have our feet up, and, and it was very relaxing, uh, just about as relaxing as, as anyone could ask for. And, and I'm sure leadership thought of this when they first uh, came up with the design for the training center. I mean, it, it needs to be comfortable uh, because... If the trainees are comfortable, it's it's going to be easier to study, and if it's easier to study, then the pass rates will go up. Uh, and and I don't doubt that fact one bit. I mean, everybody in my class made it through and and passed their check ride on the first attempt, so it definitely has something to say for itself, you know. I mean, it, about half the class, like I said, uh, you know, some guys charter, some guys general aviation. I mean, I I think about yeah, half the class came from non-airline world and it's challenging but they made it through we all studied together and, and it was good and so you know having uh, a good environment to be in really can make or break your training and again a great group of instructors just awesome synergy between all the classmates uh, it was it was just really awesome i will admit though it was it was a little challenging being the third to last person to finish in my class because i I just witnessed the rest of my classmates trickle out of training, you know, getting their check rides done and, and, and already flying the line while I was still there. Um, and, and a few of us definitely got a little bit stir crazy at the end, uh, but we, we made it through. You know, we, uh, 
we kept going to the pool, hanging out. Sometimes uh, I was able to, to leave training center a couple times and, and go golfing with uh, with a couple friends, and that definitely helped too. Because uh, you know, if you're cooped up in one area for long enough, it's it's definitely hard. Uh, but again, like I said, uh, I mean, the group I was with and, and my sim partner is what really made the experience in training really awesome. Uh, and I definitely want to get some of those guys on the show for sure. And, and I actually I'll admit, I didn't tell anyone uh, that I had this show going because I, I, I kind of just wanted to focus on training and, and not bring up the show or, or try and record anything. Because again, it was all about studying and, and getting uh Getting that training, getting that typewriting done. Well, I already had the typewriting, but getting the getting the uh, the training done, uh, so that I could I can make it home and then back into the home routines, focus on uh, things like this show and uh, going on my evening walks again, things like that. But now that we've uh, we've all made it through, I think it'd be really neat to get uh, everyone else's perspective on on how training went for them, and also share and and learn about their backgrounds too, uh, just like. Um, you know, quite a few episodes ago now, I, I had uh, Brandon and, and Kellen on the show, and those were awesome, awesome episodes to just be able to chat with people, uh, and so I, I definitely want to do that as well, and and the nice thing for me um, is that you know, we're, like, it's, it's nice for me, uh, but some of the other guys, unfortunately, didn't want the Boston base, but they're going to be in the Boston area at, at their crash pads or hotels quite a lot. Um, and I'll just be home. So I think it'll be easier to, to track some of those guys down and get them on the show. And, and I better do that sooner than later because people will start switching bases and then it's going to be a little bit harder to, to get them on the show. But, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm definitely going to, uh, get some of these guys on the show. You know, if it's not everybody, at least a few of them, it's, it'd be really fun to just chat with people and talk about their backgrounds. Cause I had some great conversations with people and I was like, oh man, I wish I was recording this conversation right now because it's just so fun uh, to share. And and that's kind of what we do as pilots. We will study for a little bit and then it just turns into storytelling, which is always, it's so funny. Every single time it always turns into storytelling. And, you know, we have to kind of snap back and be like, all right, all right, all right, reel it in. Let's let's get back to studying this, you know, these flows, these systems and whatnot. And it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny how that happens. But uh, anyway, I definitely want to get some more people onto the show. So that pretty much sums up today's episode. It's it's a little bit shorter, uh, but just kind of a, a little recap about coming back home from training and, and just giving you a little glimpse of what it was like. And I know I, I had talked about the idea of, of aircraft systems as as another topic for, for different episodes. And um, you know, before taking this break, I you know, I was, I was going to try and, and get that rolling. And then all of a sudden uh, my training date approached really quickly and I, I didn't get to it, but I, I still want to follow up on that. And, and I think what I'm going to also do is, is tie it into uh, not only, you know, talk about how the system works, but, but tie it into what we have to do in the flight deck if certain things go wrong. Now I'll, I'll say there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we cannot disclose uh, on this show for security reasons. Um, but I, I'll definitely, you know, dive into to a couple topics here and there because it's it's definitely really interesting uh, and so my plan is as for next week i'm going to loop back around to pressurization which i had wanted to talk about uh, before shipping off to training so stay tuned for the next episode where things might make your ears pop <laughs> but that's it for now thanks for listening i'll be back next time and until then as always fly safe <music>